Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hello there, everybody. I'm Andy Balog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Let's get started. We've titled this lesson, Sorry, Mr. Johnson, but Jesus is the Rock. That's a reference to the former wrestler and actor known as Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He calls himself the Rock. But as we'll see today, it's Jesus who is the real Rock. Let's listen now to the Word of God. Three readings, two from the Old Testament and one from the New. Exodus 17, verses 5 and 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Numbers 20, verse 7, 8, and 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation, and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 to 4. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. The rock was Christ. So to recap, at Rephidim, Moses struck the rock as God commanded, and it gave the Israelites water. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 10, that rock was Christ. So once again, sorry, Dwayne Johnson, it's actually Jesus who is the rock. Amen to that. And he was struck for our sins on the cross. He was, quote, pierced for our transgressions, as was prophesied in Isaiah 53, 5. And just as water flowed from the rock, water also flowed from the side of Jesus Christ. John 19, 34 says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, there's that word pierced, and immediately blood and water came out. Yeah, that's right. These Old Testament events were a depiction of the crucifixion some 1,400 years before they actually happened. Now, at Kadesh, God gave a different command because the rock had already been struck, and that's key. As the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, 
Once for all is the critical phrase here. Now, God told Moses to speak to the rock instead of striking it, because in typology, the striking had been done once for all. But Moses disobeyed and struck the rock twice in his anger at the people. And we can see that in Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse 3. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness? For us and our beasts to die here. And then skipping ahead to verse 10, it says, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? But then in his anger, Moses struck the rock twice. So in symbolic form, and that's what typology means, typology is the study of symbols. In symbolic form, Moses struck Christ a second time. That's why it's so important. It seems trivial when you read it as a story from the Old Testament. But then you have to consider how important these types really were. In the very next chapter of Numbers from this story, we read the following. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. That's Numbers 21, verse 6. Verse 9 reads, And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Again, it's an interesting tale, Andy, one of many from the Old Testament, right? Yeah, well, listen to what Jesus says in the Gospel of John, Jordan, in chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. And it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Now, he draws a direct connection to that seemingly meaningless story, revealing that it was a type of his crucifixion. And we see this throughout the Bible. The Old Testament and the New Testament are connected, type and anti-type, symbolic prophecy and fulfillment. And Matthew 1240 is another example. There Jesus connects his death and resurrection to the story of Jonah. And it goes kind of like this. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Yeah, so all these Old Testament types were put there for a very specific reason as part of God's plan. It's crazy to think about it, but all these stories happened to them as examples for our edification. And because Moses destroyed one of those important types, he was immediately judged. We find that in Numbers 20:12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me, notice that word believe, to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Yeah, Aaron died before the Israelites even entered the promised land. Some people might forget that. And because of his great service, on the other hand, Moses received some degree of mercy. Now, true to his word, God did not allow Moses to enter the promised land either. But he was allowed to see God's great promise. If we go to Numbers 27, verses 12 to 14, We'll see that it reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up to this mountain of Abiram and see the land which I have given to the sons of Israel. When you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people. Or in translation, you'll die. As Aaron your brother was, for in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to treat me as holy before their eyes at the water. Yeah, so Andy, we usually do the everyday takeaway a little bit later, but I think this is a good moment to pause and to take away something from this lesson so far, and that is, going back to what the Apostle Paul said, we should never forget that these stories from the Old Testament were examples written for our instruction, and that's 1 Corinthians 10, 11. 
The author of Hebrews, for example, explains what striking the rock twice means for us today as Christians. Hebrews 6, 4-6 says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God, and put him to open shame. So what are these verses saying to us today, Andy? All right, Jordan. So, you know, let's look at the subject here. We're talking about Moses and how God dealt with Moses. Now, most of us know the facts and what happened at that time, but we need to make the connection today. So thinking back, God called out Moses to take Aaron's staff, his brother's staff, the same staff that God used through Moses to part the Red Sea. So now he's telling them, hey, look, I've heard my people complain that they're thirsty in the desert, and I get it. So God tells Moses, before all the congregation, strike the rock. Now we learned in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which again you just read, that that particular verse is actually a portal, or it's, a, if you will, a time machine into the Old Testament, meaning that we kind of learned from Paul there in that, in that verse that Jesus is the rock. So it wasn't the rock that was critical, it's Jesus that's critical. The rock is a type of Christ. So when Paul actually is teaching us that, hey, look, when Moses struck the rock the first time, it represents Jesus dying on the cross. The rock was smitten. In other words, Jesus died for the sins of the world, for my sins, for your sins, for everybody's listening sins. And it was a one-time act, one time for all sin, meaning the penalty of sin was fulfilled. It was paid for in full. You could see that in Romans 6.23. But the second time around, I would say that Moses wasn't just so much angry. I think he was disappointed with the way that the Jews, Israel, was responding. Because as time went on, now that they are, you know, they received this water, which is a type for the Holy Spirit, here they're complaining again, and they're murmuring about their lives. Wow, it's so hot. The heat of the sun, the walk, it's so much suffering. It would have been better for us if we were just dead in Egypt, meaning like if they never were really saved. So what I'm trying to say here, Jordan, is that today, what that means today, there are many people, unfortunately, there are many denominations, Christians, that teach that a, a specific Christian, someone who is saved, can actually forfeit their salvation because of their complaining, because of their murmuring, because of them wishing that they weren't Christians, because Christianity is a difficult way of life to live. It's not a bowl of cherries. And what they teach is like, hey, look, you could forfeit that salvation. But what God is saying through Scripture is, uh-uh-uh. You see, Moses, I will still save you. And the water will still come out if you're telling somebody they lost their salvation and they're going to have to get it back. But here's the trade-off. I'll allow you to, to see the kingdom of heaven, the future millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ, but I will not allow you to get in. And I think that's the lesson, truly what the lesson God has for us today. We need to have complete faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Yeah, that was a great point, Sandy. And, you know, once you unlock this metaphor or this type or symbol of Jesus Christ as a rock, a lot of things in the Bible start to click, and there's a lot more we can talk about on the type of the rock. Um, just returning to our, you know, our key today, we find that Jesus is the rock not only in the Old Testament, but also throughout the New Testament as well. And because the Word of God is consistent in its typology, that's an important principle of interpreting the Bible, is the consistency of typology. You can search for metaphorical rocks throughout the Bible and actually learn something about Jesus Christ, because it will be Jesus Christ. For example, Take Luke 6. Uh, let's start in verse 47. Jesus said, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, 
I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, a torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Verse 49. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Yeah, this foundation on the rock was used by the Apostle Paul in his master builder analogy in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. And I'll read some of that. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, past tense, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day, and that's the judgment day, will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Verse 14. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But, and here's the big but, he himself will still be saved, yet so as through fire. So this reveals that even if all our works are burned up in the fire of judgment, we do not lose our salvation because the rock, our salvation in Christ Jesus, cannot be burned up. We have assurance. However, notice it also says that he, that man who suffers the burning, will suffer loss. And those with spiritual ears, or what we call epinosis in the Greek, which is knowledge of the kingdom, will notice that this is a doctrine of works, that is to say building, that results in loss of reward for believers who are saved and cannot lose their salvation because of Christ, the rock of foundation. Yeah, in other words, it talks about two types of salvation simultaneously. Salvation into heaven, which is based on Christ's finished work, and salvation into the kingdom of heaven, which is based on an individual Christian's work and their quality of work. So, Jordan, moving on, in other places we see Jesus in type as a stone. Now, speaking to the leaders of Israel, in Matthew 21, Jesus says, Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Yeah, right before this, Jesus reveals that he is the stone the builders rejected that would become the chief cornerstone, a prophecy from Psalm 118. And in the second chapter of his first epistle, the apostle Peter cites this prophecy as well, and he connects both the stone and the rock types together. So starting in verse 5 of 1 Peter 2, it says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Verse 7. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And verse 8. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So there's both the stone and the rock. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. You know, the stone type is particularly interesting because there is an even deeper prophetic mystery encoded within it. Jesus mentions it in verse 44 of Matthew 21. And it says, 
On whomever it, meaning the stone, falls, it will scatter him like dust. The crushing stone as a type of Jesus and the coming millennial kingdom is found all the way back in Daniel chapter 2 in the Old Testament in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream of a great statue. Now, Daniel tells the king his dream and what it meant, and we could see it starting in verse 34. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Then in verse 44, he gives the interpretation. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Wow, that's an amazing thing. Not only are the Old Testament and New Testament intertwined and connected, but when you have epinosis, you can see that the entire word of God is about the coming millennial kingdom of Christ Jesus our Lord. So true, Jordan. Thanks. And that might raise another question for our listeners, Andy, particularly those who are newer to this ministry and 20-minute Bible studies, and that's a question about what is what do they mean when they say millennial kingdom? I think it, uh, it comes down to understanding the difference between heaven and the kingdom of heaven, and perhaps we can also talk about typology, because we've been in the Old Testament talking about some of the typology of what happened to Moses and the Israelites, and I think that typology will also help listeners understand that difference between heaven and the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, Jordan, um, I would say that the ultimate type of the Old Testament going into the New Testament regarding the Millennial Kingdom or the Promised Land is Moses, number one, saving the Israelites by God using him to use the blood of the Lamb as a Passover from the spirit of death. And at that point, spiritually in type today, that's the day that when we accept Jesus as the one who died for our sins. He was our propitiation, if you will. So at that point, historically, Israel was saved from the spirit of death. Now, moving forward, we see, according to the scripture, Old Testament and New, that Moses actually brought them through the Red Sea, which was a type of their baptism. And then from there, they had a goal. They had a place to go. Not that they were seeking salvation, but they were seeking something more. So God led them to the land of Canaan. Now, at that point, God gave them the law, which is, okay, now that you're saved, you're my people now, I have a certain way you need to live, laws you need to follow. And if you do that, and if you're obedient to me, and if you have faith in me, I will lead you to the promised land, a place of milk and honey, of abundance, where you could worship me and praise me, and I will give you everything that you could ever imagine. And in typology, that's what our future millennial kingdom with Jesus Christ will be. It's a time when Jesus Christ will will return on the earth. Right now, he's our high priest, but he will return as king of the Jews. And there's actually a verse that you could see both heavens. You could see heaven, which is the abode of God the Father, and the kingdom of heaven, which is what Jesus calls a future place. That's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Yeah, Andy, that reads, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. So even in that one verse, you can see the two distinctions. You can see entering the kingdom of heaven as distinct from where the Father is now in heaven. Yeah, Jordan, and a couple points, you know, to kind of wrap this up, key points to remember. 
Number one, Lord, Lord is what Jesus is saying people will say to him in that day. Now, we know according to New Testament scripture that it is only by the Holy Spirit that is sealed within us that anyone could even call Jesus Lord. Yeah, critical point. To call him Lord, they have to be saved already. Exactly. So it's not like Jesus is rejecting them from going into heaven. No. He's saying what he's teaching is there's something more. And also another point, keep in mind, this occurred during the Sermon on the Mount. And this was directly spoken to the disciples. While the rest of Israel was at the bottom of the mountain, having just been saved, having just having had faith in Jesus and being healed, now we see that the disciples, the apostles, plus maybe a couple dozen other people, follow Jesus up to the top of the mountain. And that's where the Sermon on the Mount was given to his disciples. So what we, again, what we want to stress here is that the kingdom of heaven is absolutely different from heaven. Heaven is something that we receive when we accept Christ as our Savior, and the kingdom of heaven is something that we strive for after the judgment seat of Christ as Christians, that we hope that we will hear those wonderful, amazing words at the Bema seat, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Yeah, and if any of this sounds uh, confusing to you uh, and you're not quite grasping it, you, you should understand that, not surprisingly, a lot of the things in the Bible happen in threes. And the kingdom of Jesus Christ the Son is distinct from the kingdom of God the Father and the kingdom of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Whipple, the founder of our ministry, had a whole series on this called The Three Kingdoms, where he talked about those three different kingdoms in the Bible. But suffice to say, we're just talking about these two, and it's, that's, it's a clear distinction in the Bible to understand when we're talking about heaven and the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And that's our lesson, which means we have just a few minutes left to tell you that you can get a 20-minute Bible study anytime you like by visiting our website. We archive all lessons and make them available for free at 20minutebiblestudies.org. You can listen online, download for later, and even subscribe to a podcast version and have new lessons automatically delivered to your favorite smart device. Even more important, our website is the place where you can join in on our Bible studies by sharing your comments and asking any questions you might have. We have a growing social media community and a discussion forum and we welcome your questions and all your comments. While you're on our website, you should also sign up for email alerts so we can let you know when new lessons have been added. And when you sign up, our first email back to you will include a link to a special series that we've put together titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. It's an eye-opening set of Bible lessons, and it's our little thank you for joining our online community. It's all on the web at 20minutebiblestudies.org. Or, if you don't want to type so much, 20mbs.org. That's the number 20 and the letters mbs followed by .org. While you're there, please also consider donating in support of our mission to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We know so many Christians today are struggling to make time to study God's Word and are feeling guilty that they aren't able to do it that often. Yeah, we all know studying the Word of God is vital to our spiritual growth. Yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. That's why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. Everyone can find 20 minutes for God, and now with this audio program, that's all Christians will need. They can listen to a Bible study whenever and wherever they like. We welcome anyone who'd like to participate in this great ministry and receive the special blessings that come from helping to feed God's people meet in due season. God has blessed this mission financially to the point where all of our ministry's expenses are already taken care of. That means every single cent that you contribute 
will go directly toward broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.